So how is everyone today? Good? Good? Yeah? Yeah? I hear that the, that the um, Maple Leafs won last night. <laughs> I heard that Pastor Jordan wouldn't be too happy about that. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody told me that. I don't know. <laughs> okay. If we have guests here today, you probably don't know who I am. And I am the children's pastor here um, at SPC. I'm the children and the junior high pastor. Um, during the past six weeks, uh, we have been learning a lot about Jesus and as we've gone through the book of Mark. Now, we know that wherever Jesus went, he went with power and he went with authority. We know that Jesus can speak to the wind and the waves and that they obey him. We know that he fed thousands of people out of pretty much nothing. And we know that Jesus went around teaching the good news about the kingdom of God. We know he healed sick people. We know he healed blind people. And we know that he even cast out demons. Now, my message title today is, Who is Jesus to you? Now, is he a man who healed people? Is he just a prophet? Who is he to you? In order to really grasp why Jesus came to earth in the first place, we need to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Now, sure, we can go through the motions. We'll still be Christians, but we won't make the same impact or difference in our life or in the lives of other people. If we don't understand this, if we take this lightly, then we'll miss out on something huge. Knowing who Jesus is here and here is the most important thing that we could ever do. Do you agree? Now, we need a head knowledge for sure because that's where the information is, but most importantly, we need it to transfer from here to here. We need a heart knowledge. Now, my portion of Scripture today is Mark 8, 27 to 9, 50. Now, it's a big piece of portion of Scripture, so I've only touched, I haven't touched on all of it, so I've touched on anything that I felt would really help us to know Jesus better. Now, there's something unique that I see happening at the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9. Now, up until this point, Jesus was teaching his followers the ways of God. However, things at this point are getting much more serious. You see, Jesus is heading towards the day of his death and his resurrection. So he is talking more towards his purpose here on earth and preparing his disciples for the days to come. But he needs to be sure that his disciples understand who he is. Or his entire message and purpose would be for no reason. Now today I want us to really think about who Jesus is. Who he is to us personally. Let's start with reading verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do you say I am? Now, does it strike you odd that Jesus would, like, care about what the people thought of him? It kind of struck me odd, but I was thinking, you know, I guess he does care. I guess he wants to know. But then when I really looked into the scripture, I realized that, that he wasn't really interested in that. You know, you know, sometimes that we ask questions, okay? So, you know, when you go into, like, a meeting or you're going to talk to somebody and, and you, uh, you ask questions, you, um, you don't get right to the point. You kind of, like, you fill in this, this time. Well, I think that that's kind of what was happening. I think that... The actual question that Jesus was asking, he was actually wanting to know about what they thought. Okay, but before he asked them that, he asked what the people thought. And they said, the disciples said that some said John the Baptist, some said uh, Elijah, some said uh, other prophets. 
But the actual real question that Jesus wanted to know here was, what do, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? He wanted to know what his disciples thought of who he was. Was he just a man who did miraculous things in their eyes? He was saying, do you believe what I have been teaching you? Or do you think like the others that I might be one of them? Verse 29, Peter said, you are the Messiah. You see, at this point, Jesus was probably thinking, they got it. They, they get it. I'm the Messiah. They know. But not always is that the case. I mean, I remember uh, probably around 10 years ago, we were in here at VBS, and Pastor Paul was the pastor before Pastor Jeff was teaching the kids um, all about Jesus. He was telling them all kinds of stuff. And at the end of the stories, he asked them a bunch of questions just to find out how much they actually knew. Well, the last question that he asked them was, who knows everything? And some little girl, she pipes up, Pastor Lori. <laughs> well, we laughed about that. We thought that was quite cute. But the moral of this story is that just because we think they get it, they might not really get it, especially with kids. But even with us, even with the disciples. But verse 30 says that Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He wanted it kept a secret. Now, the miracles and stuff were no secret, but he didn't want them to tell that he was the Messiah. But why did he want it kept a secret? Well, I think it's because the religious leaders already had their minds made up about him. Jesus didn't want to make a fuss because that would only upset God's plan. Now, God's plan would still go, but it would just cause, you know, a little bit of ruckus. Matthew 23, Jesus kind of, he, he, he spoke in, in Matthew 23, and he was actually exposing really the hearts of these people, Okay. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they preach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Now, everything they do is for show, and on their arms they wear wide, extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at the banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk into the marketplaces. And they love to be called rabbi. Now, the religious leaders, they were all about power trippers. And they did not live their religion. They just barked orders at others. So Jesus was, was he didn't want to say anything because he didn't want to, he, you know, he didn't want to stir up any of this. He knew what they were all about. So he was showing the disciples what they were all about. So he didn't want to do that. So the, but the community people, on the other hand, okay, they were all about the miracle. So they liked to see the healings, but they were not ready to submit to the message that Jesus was bringing. Now, some of them were. Some of them were legit, and they really wanted to know, and they were sincere, but most of them were not. Now, if you had a form of an illness or some kind of a blindness or some kind of a, and you needed some kind of a healing, and a man or a woman came through Stouffville, would you get on board for that healing? Okay. Believer or not believer? Because it would not be about the message that the person was bringing. It would be about the healing. That's kind of like what the disciples were. They, just, they wanted to be healed. They wanted to follow this man who was healing. But Jesus' message was much bigger than healing. It was a message of love and of forgiveness and of hope and of eternal life. Who is Jesus to you? Is he the Messiah, the Almighty God, holy and perfect? Is he your Savior? Is he the one you go to for all things? Is he the one who guides you and directs you? Is he your very best friend? 
Now, I often ask if he's your very best friend. I ask the kids all the time if he's your very best friend. And the kids always right away, yes, yes, he is. But is he? I mean, just picture your best friend right now. You have a best friend. Do you enjoy hanging out with them? Do you enjoy sharing secrets with them? Do you enjoy talking with them? Do you enjoy, um, you know, seeking advice from them? Well, it's the same with Jesus. I know it sounds kid stuff saying best friend, but you know what? It's like that. He's our best friend. And all those things apply. You would share your life with your BFF, which is your best friend forever. And I think we need to make something that says J-BFF, Jesus, best friend forever. Now, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus or these things that I just said, you need to know him. Can I encourage you, please, today, do not leave here today without speaking to myself or Pastor Jeff or Pastor Stefan or Pastor Jordan because you need to know about Jesus. You are important to him, and I want you, don't want you to leave here today without knowing him. Now, Jesus did not come here to condemn us, to condemn the world. He came here to rescue us. He came for people just like us, like you and like me, people who make mistakes, people who are imperfect. He came to help us. He came to comfort us. He came to heal us, and he came to restore us. Do you know why? Because he has the authority to forgive our sins and wash us clean. Now, Titus 3 and 5 says he saved us, not because of the righteous things that he had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. Well, let's continue reading in verse 31. It says, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later would rise from the dead. And he talked about this openly with his disciples. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Now, I want us to stop here for a sec. Now, Peter was not happy about this. Think about it. Not only did he put down his life and follow Jesus, but he had this new group of friends. He had these new guys, this new group that he hung out with. Um, He was probably just really getting to know them all, like, really well. He was probably feeling like a BFF, like he had a best friend forever. And now he is being told that Jesus is going to die. Now, my human point, or from my human standpoint, I said Peter was probably enjoying his time with his friends, and now he was having new adventures and new friendships. And he, we know he was also the, in the, the inner circle. He was one of the three, the closest three to Jesus. We know what it's like, especially with a special friend, but there's a friend that we have that we really hit it off with, and I think that's what it was. I mean, you'd have late night talks, you'd have meals together, and my guess is that Peter did not like the idea that his friend, his pal, was talking about being killed. Just think about someone you care about being killed. It'd be like, enough already. You're not going to be killed because I am going, not going to let this happen. I'm going to protect you. But it was also because he still didn't quite get it. He didn't, he hadn't grasped Jesus' purpose here yet. And Jesus was upset at Peter, and he's like, don't you get who I am? Verse 33 said, Jesus turned around and he looked at his disciples, and then he reprimanded Peter, and he says, get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join the disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, 
take up your cross and follow me. Now, he said this to them all. He said it to the disciples, and he said it to the crowd of followers. He says, this is serious business. This is not about you. Stop doing things your way. Now, the only way that we can follow Jesus is if we really get to know him. Otherwise, you won't be able to go to the extreme that it might take for us to give up and do things, give up things, doing things our own way and actually knowing who Jesus is. Now, there was this tightrope walker who crossed Niagara Falls, and some of you have probably heard of him. He, uh, he, was 11, he had 11,000 feet wire stretched across, and he was 160 feet off the ground. And he crossed the... Uh, the Niagara Falls, he crossed with a sack on his back, on stilts, on a bicycle, uh, in the dark, blindfolded. He even took a stove across and cooked an omelet while he was crossing. Okay? Now, he was really good. And there was people from America and Canada. Everybody was just gathered watching him. He even took a wheelbarrow with a sack of potatoes in it. So as he was going back and forth, back and forth, everybody was cheering him on and cheering him on. He suddenly got their attention, and he said... Do you believe that I can carry a person across in my wheelbarrow? The crowd yelled, yes, you're the greatest tight walker ever. We believe. Yes, we do. Okay, then. Who wants to get in my wheelbarrow? (laughs) As far as the story goes, no one ever did. See, this story illustrates real life picture of what faith really is. This crowd said that they believed, but their actions proved that they truly did not believe. See, action is way more powerful than just words. You see, Jesus is all about action. He is a servant role model and that we need to follow. You see how far we are willing to go shows just how much we believe and how much we know that he is the Son of God. The more we know about his power the braver we will become and the more concerned we will be with about the things in our life that are not good, the things that need correcting like sin, bad behavior, poor judgment, all the negatives in our life. The more faith we have, the more trust we have, the deeper our relationship with Jesus goes and the further that we will take our commitment with him. Now the next part is about the transfiguration and that's in chapter 9. Now transfiguration is a very big word so I looked it up. It means a complete change in appearance or form into a more beautiful or spiritual state or described as a change on the outside that comes from the inside. Now, verse 2 in chapter 9 says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, Jesus' body took on a different appearance. Can you imagine what James and John and Peter, what they must have looked like when they saw that? In awe? Now, when we think about a mountain, okay, think about a mountain. It's cool air, beautiful view. I'm sure that was part of the plan for them to go up there was to renew their strength, both spiritually and emotionally. Now, how many of you have ever had a mountaintop experience? You know the kind that I'm talking about. You're so pumped and you're so excited for the things of God. You just want to tell everybody about it. You want to tell them what he's done. All you talk about is Jesus. You feel so alive. You feel full of energy and life. We feel like we can trust him with anything. Had those? 
But then we begin to come down off the mountain. We get bogged down by life. Our focus shifts. We go from who he is to who am I. Life is hard. Now, I am a mom. I am a pastor. I care for a sick mom. I am a grandmother. I have stress. I am tired. Life is getting harder. I begin to lose focus on who he is, and now I am looking at me. Sound familiar? See how easy it is for us to lose our focus and how our focus can shift? See, James, John, and Peter were being prepared for a mighty work in the name of Jesus. Jesus knew that they needed their strength renewed for the hard days that were ahead. Moses and Elijah, they were there too. And both these men performed mighty work for God. And the disciples knew that Moses and Elijah had passed away hundreds of years before. And yet, standing there before their very eyes, alive. When we see something with our own eyes, it has a greater impact than just hearing about it. And we know that the disciples would soon be facing a very difficult emotional event and witnessing this on the mountain would have helped them with this with their emotions. Now, verse 7 says, Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. Now, the mountaintop experience was exactly what they needed to renew their strength, but it was also needed to happen to allow the disciples to see Jesus being transformed before their eyes. They needed to hear the voice of God with their own ears say, this is my son, listen to him. They needed to have their faith increased. They, the witness was the most important sight that they had ever seen. It was the most important and most, the best sight ever imaginable. Now think about a witness for a sec. It's, some, it's someone that testifies for you. If you had a car accident, a witness would tell what they saw, They would give an accurate account, at least in their point of view. They would give a clear picture of the event. Because this witness, it impacted the disciples for a lifetime. Verse 9 says, As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves. But they often asked each other what he meant by raising from the dead. Now, I'm sure that Jesus didn't want to waste any time trying to prove anything to anyone about who he was. So once again, Jesus told them not to say anything. Just keep it to yourself for now. When they came down from the mountain, they saw a large crowd around the other disciples, and some of the religious teachers were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed, and they ran, and they greeted him. Verse 16 says, what is all this arguing about? One of the men in the crowd spoke up and he said, Teacher, I brought my son so that you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whatever, whenever the spirit seizes him, he throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now, Jesus gave the disciples authority to cast out evil spirits back in Mark 6. Mark 6 and 7 says, And he called his 12 disciples together, and he began sending them out two by two, giving them the authority to cast out evil spirits. And then down to verse 12, it says, So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God, and they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Why do you think they were given the authority, but they were unable to cast out the demon? 
I believe, because they were trying to do it with their own power. They were not asking God to help them. Now, I read this article, and it said it perfectly, so I'm going to read it. It said it boils down to this, to an old-age problem of mankind. If we look at the history of the Old Testament, we learn that every time the children of Israel became successful, they thought it was their own doing. They became, began to leave God out of the picture. The cycle repeats over and over throughout the Old Testament. The Israelites are in trouble. They turn to God. God rescues them. The Israelites become successful. They forget about God. Without God's protection, they get back into trouble. Once they get into trouble, they turn to God, and the cycle repeats. This demonstrates a problem that all human beings have. When things go well, we tend to forget about God. I couldn't have said that better myself. That's why I chose to read it. And we are all guilty of this, all of us. We might not be facing a demon in our life, but we sure do face negative things. We sure do face a lot of problems. We sure do face just imaginable stuff. Now, let me ask you, what life situation do you feel like right now that you're just hitting the end of your rope with? The ones that you feel hopeless in. It's in these situations that we could, if we could just see Jesus, if we could just, just remember that he is our BFF, that he, we can go to him for everything. He is our best friend forever. But somehow we don't look to him. We look at ourselves and we begin to drown. We see our problems and we drown. And then it's when the I am start again. And it's like, I am broke. I am unloved. I am worthless. I am unhappy. I am unemployed. I am sick. I am fed up. But we need to focus on him and who he is. He's there for us. We are special to him. We are worth far more than we could ever imagine. He loves us and he wants us to go to him in all things, in everything, in the good and the bad, in the most of it. He already knows anyways. He knows everything. We need to ask God to please forgive us and to help us to trust him more, to help us to remember him when things are going good. My prayer is that God would help us to see the truth and to know the truth and to live the truth. And the truth is to know Jesus here and here. Constantly, all the time, every day, every second of the week. I think Gary said that to me in my office the other day. I think he said something about, like, we need to know God every second of every day, of every week, of every moment. It's true, we do. Let's continue now reading about the boy the disciples could not cast the evil spirit out. Verse 19, it says, Then Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, and when, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, Since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked? Anything is possible if a person believes. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers were growl, was growling, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet. And he stood up. 
Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. Now, Jesus was probably frustrated. I mean, he was just came from a peaceful mountaintop to this mess. Can you see what happened? See, the disciples, they had forgotten their source of power. They had forgotten that they were not the ones doing the healing. Their focus shifted back to themselves, and their faith was in themselves rather than in God. Now, clearly they had not prayed and asked God to help them, or Jesus would not have said that this evil spirit only comes out with prayer. They had not trusted in God for that healing. Now, does this sound familiar when it comes to us and our own personal faith? I mean, how many times do we forget to pray or do we forget to ask the Lord to help us? I mean, the boy's father believed, but he also recognized his unbelief. He was probably more on the side of, well, others have tried to heal him, but nothing's happened. Or my boy, you know, he's had this for a really long time. You know, he was just making excuses. He was making excuses because he probably thought he wouldn't be healed. But he wanted him healed. But he thought he wouldn't be healed. But he wanted him healed. So he was, he was at a war here. Sometimes we do this too. I mean, we pray for healing, but we also are hesitant to really believe. Maybe we have prayed before and nothing happened. Sometimes we as the praying person who prays for other people, I mean, I'm embarrassed to even say this, but sometimes we are afraid to claim that healing. You know? We become like the father with unbelief. And it's not because we don't believe, but it's because it's like we, you know, we do believe, but we need to believe more. We need to like, we need to stand on the promises of God and we need to believe. There's no, there can be no hesitation. It has to be belief, you know, because we have to forget about us because sometimes that's what we do. We think about us, but if we speak it and it doesn't happen, then what does it make us look like? But it's not about that. It's about him. But that's what we need to do. And that's what we need to believe. And that's, All that matters. We need to ask God to help us with our own unbelief so that our prayers will be more powerful and we can see miracles like we see here. But Jesus said that he sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, who guides us, and who helps us. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus spent every opportunity teaching and preparing his disciples for what he had called them to. He used every opportunity to pour into them constantly. He was their servant in order to teach them how to serve. Verse 30 to 33 tells us that Jesus kept a low profile so that he could spend more time with his disciples, teaching them about what was going to happen next so that they would know him well and would be ready when it happened. Let's carry on reading verse Mark 9, 33 to 37. It says, After they arrived in Capernaum settled and settled in the house, Jesus asked the disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer him, because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him, and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. Now, I can see a couple of problems here. First problem, arguing over who is the greatest? Are you kidding me? Like, what's wrong with these guys? Who are they focusing on? Honestly, if I was Jesus, I would have smacked them upside the head. (laughs) 
But no, instead, Jesus used that moment as a teaching moment. He's much wiser than I am. He teaches them by saying, do not focus on being the greatest or being recognized as the most important or wanting to be the one being served, but instead focus on serving the needs of others. That's what Jesus is all about, serving the needs of others. The second thing is in Bible times, the children were often seen as unimportant, as slaves. They had no power. They had no social status. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't just tell them about children. He picks up the little child in his arms. He shows them. He models it. Let's continue reading verse 42. It says, but in, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to become thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with one, only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fire of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go into eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eyes cause you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Whew. Verse 43 to 49, it's, it's talking about the sins of our life, that if we allow them to take root in us, they will cause us and those around us to fall. The scripture warns us to get rid of that sin or it will kill us. It's a very strong and drastic warning for us to get ourselves right with God. This also shows us a part of who Jesus is because he wants us to be able to be free to fully know him. Verse 50 says, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. So how do we get the qualities of salt in our life? By getting to know him in a deeper way each and every day and keeping ourselves focused on him. Now the day when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think I am? It was a vital question. So I ask you today, who is Jesus to you? Who do you know him to be? Is he the one who makes all the difference in your life day to day? Is he the one who is there for you no matter what and that you go to him? Is he the one who comforts you when you are hurting? Is he the one who helps you when you are afraid or lonely? Who is Jesus to you? Now, I, myself personally, I deal with some pretty deep hurts in my own life, some very painful things, things that without Jesus I think truthfully I probably would have given up a long time ago. And I think many of you here today feel the exact same way. Difficulties, hurts, wounds, fights, baggage, fears, worthlessness feeling. But because we have him, we have that hope and we have that comfort in knowing we have a Savior who sees and knows everything, even the bigger picture. He knows from the beginning to the end. He gives us an outlook on life that is different from the world because the world could not possibly know us or love us the way that he does. He gives us hope. He gives us strength and encouragement so that we can carry on. He wants us to be his BFF. He wants us to have him our BFF. He is there for us every second of every day. But we have to want that. 
It's up to us. He's already there. We have to want that. Now again, I say to you, who is Jesus to you? Who do you know him to be? And is that enough? Or do you want to know him more? 